The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast, Garage Mahal, P Nate, Pooty, David on the dials. I don't know. I have got nothing with the David on the dials. I try. I try really hard to include like all the work Dave is doing behind the scenes, but like he Calling doesn't it, actually have even dials. He has a computer. That's true. Like, there are uh, sliders on the computer. It seems Dave and the sliders. That sounds, so, like, that sounds like he's eating small hamburgers. I was gonna say it sounds like a terrible '60s band. <laughs> David the Sliders. <laughs> it does actually. David the Sliders. Yeah. They they played some pop jazz. Back I would not day. be shocked if Dave was in a band called David the Sliders. <laughs> See, speaking of bands, this blew my mind. I just found this out. Friend of the show, Joe Boot, used to tour around Britain in a band. What? Apparently, I didn't even know that. Apparently, he was like I don't want to say a, like a rocker, but like he was in a rock band. I think he played bass, like touring around. Like, um, are you sure, Joe Boot? Answers to Genesis, Cal Smith and Corey McKenna, both friends uh, of the show, were the ones that told me that. Wow! And so, like, That's, and they're that, both those like are reliable sources. They're also both sneaky rockers, yeah. Right, like yeah. so. Yeah, bass um, is a sneak. Bass is a sneaky. Wow, Cal is a sneaky good bassist, so and Corey's got the voice of an angel. There could be a band at some point that would include me, the Rebel. Yep. Cross Current, Answers and Justices, and the Ezra and Institute. Yeah, we should go. put an album out called the The Real Reformation. I think that's what nice, <laughs> nice. The band for cultural reformation. Oh my word, that'd be amazing. Like, nice. You know, what's, you know what's great about this is that we both, right as we were about to record, I said I feel dead tired to the world, oh, and yeah. you're like sick as a dog right now. Yeah. Um, which just seems to be a theme for you for the last little while. It used to be me, now it's you. And then all of a sudden, the intro's like. We just came up with that off nothing. This is great. I know. Like, I know. It's like we're on. We're on <laughs> the, today. Yep. The spirit is poured upon us <laughs> at the Rebels table. Um, who are we, though? We are the Rebels, and uh, we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. And there's lots of new podcasts on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network on the Canadian side of things. Our friends over at the Liberty Dispatch, Matthew Halleck and Andrew DiBartolo, they have a few other podcasts that are connected to them with the Liberty Lounge and uh, Michael Thiessen's Hot Takes or whatever that one's called. <laughs> I like Mike Tyson, but hey, I also like razzing him. Andrew DiPartolo sounds like he should pitch for the Yankees. I'm just going to say mm. that. Like, I don't know why, because maybe it's because like... It's Bartolo like, Colon? Yeah. Is that like, what you're thinking of? Like, yeah. He doesn't just, look like Bartolo Colon. No, but, it just feels like yeah, if you... If he's, he, he's, he a, a, he's, he's a very fiery Italian man. Well, then that just strikes me as somebody who should pitch in yeah. the Bronx, yeah. right? Like, that's fair. That's fair. All right, Andrew. Um, let's see what you got. <laughs> Can you please tag the Rebels in a YouTube video of yourself giving us your your heater? <laughs> that's um, amazing. Um, okay. And, uh, and there's lots of other podcasts on there. Our friend Joe Boot that we were just talking about. Uh, Aaron Rock with Leadership Now. So there's lots of good stuff. And we would just recommend you download the app. It's the best place for you to get content. It's uncancelable, and there's lots of uh, our stuff historically. We've lost a few things on YouTube, 
that have been uh, taken off by the overlords. CrossPolitik has uh, been in YouTube jail a few times. So best way for you to get all the Fight, Laugh, Feast content is by being on the app. Yeah, so we actually have a, a kind of a, it's not a weird topic, it's just kind of an out of the blue topic, something that maybe people haven't heard about before. We're used to answering people's questions and stuff, but this kind of came up, I don't even remember how it came up. You were talking. I was talking. I was talking, and Chris said that should be a podcast, and that's usually how most of these things happen. Um, but it's funny because I feel like everybody would say Nate does all the talking, but in our real life, I feel like you do more talking than me. This is what's interesting about our friendship and our personalities: is that I'm the extrovert, yes, and you're the introvert. Correct. So, in, but only when it comes to teaching and stuff, where is all of a sudden the reverse happens. Like I'm listening, I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I'd never even thought of that before, and then you're like, you become like on fire and then you just like like let's stop talking and stuff like um, not like obviously when it's just you and me but I mean like in, in general right, that right. people I think would be shocked to think that you're an introvert fair enough yeah that's fair right? I, not people who come to the church they're generally fairly underwhelmed when they meet me for the first time <laughs> you're very, yeah. you're very underwhelming. I'm, I'm a little underwhelming yeah people are like oh I thought you'd be better I, I, I get more I th- dynamic more charismatic people who meet me for the first time like oh that's what you look like um, like yeah, what did you mean by that? Like, I thought you were taller. Just like I didn't realize, I didn't realize you were shaped exactly like a potato. Like, <laughs> even though you say it several times. Oh man. Okay, so uh, what we're going to talk about today is, uh, I guess we're going to call the episode "Tell a Better Story," and where this comes from is Chris is is uh, on staff of the church, and so he's kind of getting discipled and mentored into pastoral ministry, and part of that includes uh, mentoring and, uh, uh, sorry. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Counseling, biblical counseling. That's what we're talking about. And one of the things that I often tell parents, and Chris with his involvement in the youth ministry at the church and all that kind of stuff, this is, was really relevant to him. So when we were chatting about this and some of the advice that I sometimes give to parents, it's actually just relevant in a lot of ways. It's, it's relevant to churches. It's relevant to a lot of things. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of dive in and share the concept. When you think about even the whole LGBT movement and everything, like Chris and I are not old. Like definitely younger than Aaron Rock or Joe Boot or Mike Tyson or any of these guys, a lot younger, but way younger. <laughs> but uh, we aren't young chicks anymore, and so we remember like back in the day, the cool kids at school were like the jocks, right? The extroverts, right? Fairly good-looking folks. Think of like any high school movie that was made in the '90s, and and you know who was the popular ones, right? we're not defending in terms of stereotypes and popularity and stuff, but it is interesting what's happened in culture in general. And it's trickled into even the schools. And I think a lot of people who like us have been out of high school and all that for a while would be shocked to find out that who's cool in school now are like the gender fluid LGBT woke dingbats. And like the nerds. Yeah. (laughs) So it's interesting how that's happened. And I was talking to a family the other day who comes to the church and they have a child who's struggling with identity. And obviously, I mean, one of the first pieces of advice we give to anybody is don't let your kids go to public school, right? Christian education all the way, homeschool, you know, find a good classical Christian school, whatever. But that's obviously good advice. But on a deeper level, when kids in particular, teenagers, get caught in this sexual identity kind of stuff, One of the pieces of advice that I give to parents is that your family has to tell a better story than the story they're receiving from their peers, 
right? So the story that they're receiving from their peers is that, you know, they're cool now and they're edgy and they're controversial, right? And now they can be accepted and they've found themselves and they're discovering their inner identity and, and all that liberation nonsense, right? That we rail against often in this podcast. But one of the things that I think Christian parents do far too often is they brush it away as nonsense and they don't take the, I guess, the feelings the deep sense of, of identity that their child is getting through that position that they're at in life, that story that they're telling themselves, right? Did you watch uh, Cobra Kai on uh, uh, when it was out? Did you watch that? Yes, I did. Yeah, the first season was actually quite good. I mean, I was a huge... I had to watch it because I was a huge Karate Kid fan when I was a kid. That was like You've my favorite movie. You've seen the first season or you've seen all of the seasons? Uh, I've seen this first... I think I finished the second season. Oh, I, yeah, but don't I'm, tell me. Don't tell me anything. I'm shameful I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, but what I do know is that... Do you remember when, um, when Hawk, right, comes in? He's got the scar on his lip and he's kind of a geeky kid in school. And, uh, and he's told, flip the script. Right. Like if you don't want people looking at your lip, then give me something else to look at. And he comes in, you know, kind of next scene with his giant, like obnoxious uh, mohawk. Mohawk, And it's interesting when you think about that. If you don't want somebody to see what you don't want them to see, then then show them something else. But I think that there's something redeemable in that mentality. And that is, again, if their peers are giving them validation in an identity, you can't just say to them, don't do that, right? I, I mean, you can, you can try that. Generally, it's not going to work. You pray for them, you do all that kind of stuff. But I think the better thing you can do is actually give them a better story than what their peers are telling them. And I think this is one of the reasons why at our church, I think <laughs> everything comes back to post-millennialism. But I think that, that post-millennialism helps in this regard because the story of building Christ's kingdom, right? The story of being a cultural warrior, the, the story of, of being part of kind of pushing back the darkness is a great story. And I say all the time that what's happening as we come face to face with Christ, as Christ regenerates our hearts, is the understanding that instead of building your own story, your own empire, your own kingdom, which is what everybody in our culture is doing, right? They're building their resumes, they're accumulating stuff, they're getting bigger houses, they're getting all this stuff. The best use of your life is not to spend it telling your own story, but to actually attach and integrate your story into the story, right? Into God's story. And so I think that families fail sometimes in giving their kids better stories. What's a better story than the kid who has aspirations of being that, you know, the next Connor McDavid or the next... I was about to say Joe Carter, <laughs> like talk about two different, like, <laughs> that's funny, eh? you know, the next Mike Trout, that's a storyline that they tell themselves. And you have a lot of like athletic kids who end up getting a crisis of identity when their dreams of becoming an actor, their dreams of becoming an athlete, their dreams of becoming a professional singer, their dream of getting into an Ivy League school, their dream of whatever fails, Right. Or they don't find themselves as attractive to the opposite sex. They don't have the romantic story that they've been watching growing up. And so they start telling themselves different stories. They find a peer group that will tell them a better story. I'm a disturbed artist and they go all goth, right? I'm a sexually liberated teen and they get, you know, all woke with LGBT stuff. I'm a climate activist, right? What they're looking for is purpose and identity. And I think too often Christians simply say, don't do that without providing a better alternative. Does that make sense? I kind of lay the groundwork well. Yeah, 100%. I think there's lots of good books and good examples of that. I think if there's a book I read a few years back called Curveball. It's by a pitcher named Barry Zito, who played Major League Baseball. And the premise of that book is what you're talking about. The premise of that book is he was a professional athlete, went to the very top, 
got everything. He actually achieved the dream and it wasn't enough. So the problem with story that people tell themselves about, like, I just want to be the next Mike Trout. I just want to make it on a Canadian Idol or American Idol or whatever those shows are called or whatever. What happens if you actually get your dream? Because then that's the end of that, right? And then you very quickly realize that didn't actually achieve anything, right? Whereas like if you attach your story to the story that never ends, the story of redemption, the story of building the kingdom, a purpose that is eternal. If you think through history, what has been the cry of almost every secular culture? It's legacy. And yep. look, I want my legacy. I want my name to echo through eternity. That's quoting Gladiator. And then also, right? <laughs> what really? we do, yeah, what we do here echoes in eternity. Great line. That's and then there's a, there's a movie called About Schmidt with Jack Nicholson. And he says something totally like... Totally opposite movie. Yeah, totally opposite <laughs> movie. But he says something pretty haunting where he says, when you die and the people who knew you die, it's like you never existed. Right? And he says that like it's the worst thing in the world. And that is, like, that's the fear that people have. And so even when people wrestle with their own mortality and come to the understanding that they are mortal, they will die, even though we try to escape that as well, it comes to this, what will I be remembered for? What will last? And the Bible is full of this, like you're saying, right? Nebuchadnezzar, right? He wanted to build an everlasting kingdom. Nimrod wanted to build an everlasting kingdom, right? But none of these kingdoms last forever because it's only the stone that's carved out by not human hands that smashes the idols of the empires of the world that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth right so so the only way for a true legacy that never comes to an end is if you attach your story to the building of god's kingdom because that's what he's about the big idea the end for which god created the world is that the knowledge of the glory of god covers the earth as the waters cover the sea and if that's what he's doing you're either a part of that and your work lasts forever or you're building something else that's ultimately going to crumble yeah, absolutely. You talked a little bit about like what happens when you achieve your dream. The verse that comes to my mind is Ecclesiastes 6. I think this is actually the big idea of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 1 says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. And this is the key. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and a grievous evil. So the idea here is that we have dreams, we have aspirations. The phrase that's repeated throughout Ecclesiastes is it's a vapor, right? It's a chasing after the wind. And so it's that idea that like a pillar of smoke looks solid until you grasp at it. You can't actually grasp it. So the idea is like whatever it is that you're going for, that story that you're trying to tell yourself, that dream that you're aspiring to, When you grab it, it turns to smoke in your hand. It turns to ashes in your hand. It doesn't actually fulfill you. And this is, I think, the big point of Ecclesiastes. This is the point is God gives people all the best food in life, but he doesn't give them all the taste buds to enjoy them, right? I remember Doug Wilson one time saying, it's like this. God gives everybody peaches, cans of peaches. And he's like, but who's more wealthy, the one who has a million cans of peaches or the guy with one can of peaches and a can opener, right? And the point there is that all of the good things that God gives us on earth, and there are good things, right? Steak is good. Wine is good. The Bible says that God gives wine to gladden men's hearts, right? Sports are good, right? All of these things can be enjoyed in excess and all of these things can be made bad, but God gives us all kinds of good things that we're supposed to enjoy. 
But the taste buds to be able to enjoy them, the can opener to get at the peaches is the understanding that all, all these gifts come from God, mm-hmm. right? And so our use of them is meant for his glory, not for ours. And so the, the, the guy with a million cans of peaches without the can opener is the guy who's using those to build his own kingdom. I think of the idea of making the best use of your time. And so like we were talking about this this morning in a, in a different context, but like there's the verse where the lady is the one where she's cooking or whatnot. And the other one's just at Jesus's feet. And like yeah, Mary and she, Martha, it's not the action that is right or wrong, right or wrong. It's the, it's the heart condition behind the thing. So like when you're talking about, you can enjoy all things of life when you're actually abiding in Christ, when you're actually laying your life before the Lord, all of the things that God has created and God has given become alive to you yeah. in a proper context. Like, totally. So like really practically speaking, like me and a like non-Christian eating a steak, only to me does the steak have a proper place. To him, it's just right. a fleeting. It's like, vanity. It, exactly. Right? It's, yeah. it's ash in his mouth. Um, even though it came from the same cow or whatever, right? Right. Um, so it's just the idea of like. A molder cow. <laughs> Sorry. Nobody who doesn't go to our church has yeah, any idea yeah, what you just fine. said. Yeah. He loves cows. Um, yeah, he does love but, cows. But like to flip it back onto the topic at hand, that's the story we have to tell, right? Like right. that if you want to enjoy life, if you want your life to matter, if you want your legacy to count, if you want to have real identity, unlike yeah. the lie that's being told to all of our children and everybody else, the only way for those things to happen is to abide in Christ, right? If like, that's the story, that's the song that never ends, right? And so when we join our lives to that, when we put our lives in the proper perspective, stop thinking of ourselves as the center of the universe and just like a pawn in the, in the grand scheme, then our lives actually do have meaning. It's like the, the idea of when we make much of ourselves, it actually means that we mean less in history. When, yeah, we, when we lower totally. ourselves, we actually make ourselves great in history. The funny thing is like you, you use that about Schmidt quote about like, once everybody who knows you dies, you cease to exist. And it's like, yes, to these people, but every soul is immortal. And like for the people who are in Christ, you cease to exist maybe to the people around you, but the God of the universe remembers what you've done. And that should terrify you if you're not in him, because he remembers what you've done eternally to punish you. And then if you're in Christ, he remembers the blood that was shed for you and he'll remember the works that were done in his name. So you're going to be remembered, but you're going to be remembered by the sovereign, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's a terrible, like either a terrifying thing or a glorious thing. Yeah. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is driving at when he says like, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will find it. And that's the whole point is like, have you lost yourself in the story of God, right? And the mission of God, as Joe would say, right? I always like visuals. I'm a visual. So think of it this way. Picture just a giant boulder. Like I'm talking like a house size boulder, right? And you got a team of guys on a football field I, trying I, to Indiana get it. Indiana Jones boulder. Yeah, boulder there you down. go. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So you have that on a football field and you got it at the at your end zone, right? On the one yard line, right? And the end of human history is crossing that 100 yard line, right? Crossing that uh, into the other end zone. Your job, your entire life might only be rolling it two or three yards, And there might be some people in history, some Puritans, some generations that roll it further than you. But the point is, is that at the end of human history, we're all going to look and see where that boulder was moved, what kingdom was built, and we're all going to have had a hand to play in it or not. And we're going to have all eternity to reflect on the reality that we built the wrong kingdom with our lives, right? So 
when you think of things that way, and, and so this is where, so just practically speaking, that's kind of high level stuff, but like practically speaking, this is why, this might sound corny, but honestly, this is why I think like family mission statements and stuff like that come into play. I think families should talk about this. What is our family about? It's not just about, you know, our vacation time. It's not just about, you know, building a bigger house that accommodates more people and has more toys in it. Like, what is our family about? How is it that our family is uniquely gifted to build the kingdom? What is it that we're doing together? And when you start figuring that stuff out and you're telling better stories than the peers in the world, then that's how you keep your kids, right? Involve them in the mission of God. That's how we end up keeping our kids. And so similarly for churches, right? Obviously, churches are about preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, glorifying God. Yeah, I get all that. But like really practically, what is it that your church is doing? How is it that you are building the kingdom? How does evangelism and outreach and declaration of truth and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, how does all that stuff work together to build the kingdom in a way that's a better story than they get working their nine to five, accumulating stuff at home because everywhere is trying to tell them a story. This is what every commercial is about, by the way, right? Like every car commercial, you watch it. What it's doing is it's telling you the kind of story that you want to hear in order to buy that vehicle, right? If you buy this Silverado, you will be this ruggedly handsome cowboy who, you know what I mean? Like that's how advertisers get you. They tell you a story that you want to hear and you want to be in that story. You want to be a part of that story. So similarly, how is it that your church, your family, your marriage is telling better stories than what's competing for its attention? Yeah, exactly. The analogy of the commercials is brilliant because like, we've all watched the commercial and we've all probably watched the narrative of a commercial play and we don't even know what the commercial's for. Right. We you just know, know like, how it makes us like, feel. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think it aired during the Super Bowl. It's uh, Ewan McGregor, who's actually one of the people, like, because he's Obi-Wan Kenobi that I just love. Yeah. And he's walking down this, like, glass oh, yeah. hallway. What was that for? Honestly, I think it was for, like, a crypto website or something. Like, crypto. Well, and it was like, I remember you know, that, if though. you want to change the world, and it's, like, got space in the things, like, you can yeah. do all these things. And it's, like, crypto.com. I had no idea what the commercial was for. And I'm actually a little disappointed because I was hoping it was about like opening up a space station or something like it could have been, honestly been a trailer for Obi-Wan. Like right. I have no idea what this is for. The premise of the commercial was like, you know, if you use this website, right. These, this is, this the, is the currency of the future. You'll be part of the future. You'll exactly. change the world. Yeah. You, you won't be left behind. You won't right. be all the, all the, all these things. And I'm just like, advertisers know exactly what we're doing. Christians are oddly enough. I'm about to go on a tangent. I apologize. No, it's um, good. I like I like pretty tangents. Christians are the only people who don't get indoctrination. Yeah, you know I mean, like every other worldview is totally fine with indoctrinating children. There's a reason Viacom has a cradle to grave program. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. Nickelodeon, that's their mission Nick statement. Junior, like yep, we want to keep yeah. their kids from yeah, yep. like schools. Like I was just talking to a fellow, a fellow, a fellow. That just shows how <laughs> old funny. I am. Yeah, um, I was just talking to a guy last night about like the idea of when we were in public school, like I went to public school, shocker, but like it was about the facts at that point. It was about teaching a subject and right. like, yeah, worldview came up and absolutely the teacher has a slant on how they interpret history and all that stuff, but it was mostly fact based. Right. On this date, this happened. But they've flipped the script in a negative way towards us where now it's a worldview with dates included. You that's know what right. I mean? Like, yeah, and so like, right. like the world understands indoctrination. Totally. Every other religion in the world understands indoc- indoctrination. Like tell me the, the Muslim faith isn't trying to indoctrinate their children into a worldview that will... Absolutely is actually very post-millennial in there. Yeah, that was an episode we wanted to do sometime, how how every other religion 
and we would say secular humanism is a religion, right? 100%. Every other religion is post-millennial by default, and Christianity, through a great bait-and-switch of, of Satan, <laughs> is dispensational by default, in North America at least, at this point in time. Honestly, I literally think that was the one that we forgot about um, when we were coming over here. We were like, what we, What was that other one yeah, that we did? We'll do that It next was time. that one. Yeah, we'll do um, that. Everybody else gets that idea, but we don't, we yeah, don't get that idea, right? right? And to parents, let's be practical. How do you tell a better story? Stop making your faith about what you do and what you don't do and why you do what you do. And what you're building as a result, right? Exactly. And like Psalm 19, I I said Psalm 19, sorry to cut you off. I think that's probably the first time in history that that has ever happened. The first part of Psalm 19 is like, you know, the heavens declare God's glory. The glory of the Lord covers the earth, right? It's talking about, it's Romans 1. Like there is no excuse for anybody believing anything other than that God created the heavens and the earth and the majesty of his name. But then it flips in verse seven, the script flips to God's law is perfect. His ways make wise the simple, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? or the world itself declares a story that is absolutely true. Right. And then God's law tells a better story than having our law, right? right. Like it's, even the simple yeah. seem wise when you follow the good and perfect word. And so like when we talk about to your parents and we talk about to your children, we talk about to your friends. And when you start to talk about like, how do you tell a better story? Well, do you know what's a bad story? You're getting a divorce. You know, you're, mm. you're, you're fighting yeah. for custody with your, your the yeah. kids. It's not all yeah. about parenting. All those things. Well, how does that not happen in, when you're in God's word? Because you don't give up on your marriage. You, know yeah. I mean? you don't cheat on your wife. You don't, you do, like, you follow what yeah. God has ordained as his yeah. good and perfect tell, law. Tell the story of being a faithful husband who, <laughs> who exactly. serves his wife, who isn't the idiot that we see on every sitcom, who's lying to his wife and hanging out with his buddies and all that kind of Absolutely. stuff, right? Like, Absolutely. be the guy who lays his life down for his family. And yeah, totally. A- amen. And encourage, like when your kid comes in, he's like, what do you want to do for your love? And be like, I, I want to be a dad. Yeah. Be like, amen. Yeah. That's great. You're going to have a job too, son. Yeah. But like, um, yeah. like the focus is like in the right spot. Um, that was a tangent. No, that's like, good. That's totally good. Cool I actually think that's a highly practical way for us to kind of phase this one out. That's what it's about. And there's a great book called Diapers, Dishes, and Dominion. I can't remember who wrote it. I think her name is Leah Smith, but don't quote me on that. Diapers, Dishes, and Dominion. And it was foundational for my wife in terms of just connecting every dirty diaper and every dish cleaned and every room vacuumed and every pair of underwear folded to the mission of God, right? These are not the mundane tasks of a housewife. The task of a housewife is to help raise godly children who are dragon slayers who change the world, right? And so part of what it means to tell a better story is to connect everything. Why my son needs to make his bed every single day is because the world is chaos, son. And you're called by God to take dominion of chaos, right? So don't have a chaotic room. Have dominion of what I'm giving to you now, and that is the responsibility to make your bed, because one day you're going to have to take dominion of other things that are much harder than your bed, but every single day that you make your bed, you're training yourself to take dominion where it matters more. Amen, and I'm very convicted about the fact that I don't make my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Pooty, make your bed. Jordan Peterson told you that. (laughs) Heather makes it. I took the minute and she doesn't. Lay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lay down your life for your wife and make your bed. That's terrible. I'm in uh, so much trouble. All right. Um, um, all right. That's us. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. And uh, we'll, we'll check in on whether or not Pootie's been making his bed. Cheers. Cheers.